0: Welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that inspires you, because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MadeToLead to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. So on today's episode, we continue where we left off in our conversation with Shaney Suleiman, an experienced executive on a mission to build and develop Africa through technology. Today, Shani talks about how he made the decision to move back to Africa after turning down offers from tech giants like Facebook and Google. This decision ultimately led him to building an airline and eventually becoming an executive at Andela I hope you enjoy the show. So so, I, so, my next question, like, you know, you're you're on this track and. Um, uh, when did the desire to um come back to the african continent begin and you know because you know you, you worked at bain you then move on to hp uh and then ultimately you know you decide to go to harvard for your mba uh, but a- along the way there was probably a moment where you you thought okay i i really want to do something back on the african continent um you know whether it's with technology or with engineering, like. When, when did that come about and, and how did you then translate that into, you know, going to Harvard um, and then ultimately your first gig back on the continent?
1: Yeah, I think I'd always felt this deep connection to Nigeria and, you know, it, it was always a part of my identity. Even when I went through the years, you know, in, in upstate New York where I was wearing, you know, baggy jeans and fitted hats and, you know, trying to be cool like, like an American, I still had a very Nigerian identity. And so at the time I was at Bain, Um, one of the questions I asked myself was how do I learn about how businesses work how do I learn about how you would what levers you pull to improve business performance Uh, You know, what makes businesses succeed, what makes them fail and how might I apply that to developing um, something in Nigeria that has to do with building a business or, or optimizing a business and so that was always in the back of my mind um, I worked on some really cool projects at Bain, both in, you know, as a general consultant, but also I got a chance to work in the in private equity group, which is, you know, basically like a constant fire drill where you get high pressure and you, you get to do a lot of, um, a lot of projects in a short amount of time. And so that experience is great. But the one thing I realized that was, that was a little bit lacking for me was I didn't personally care about the companies that we were working with. Like there wasn't a, there wasn't a gut feeling of, you know, deep personal care where if I, if I didn't do this well, you know, the like I, I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't worth anything. Like, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, let me explain that right a little bit better. Um, to perform well at Bain was to get good ratings, was to do well at Bain and to feel good about yourself as a professional. But to do something that would have an impact on Nigeria for me was about having a purpose in life. And so I didn't feel that per- that sense of purpose at Bain. I was doing really cool projects. I was learning a lot, but it was really adding to my, my my toolkit in order to deploy those skills somewhere else. And so I'd always known that. So at Bain, I was very deliberate about how do I get as much as possible out of this experience and leverage that in the future. You know, same thing as when I when I when I transitioned into HP. Um, it was okay. After Bain, I'd learned about how to think about how to think through com- you know company performance and what drives company performance. At HP it was. That's good, you know you, you you understand what drives company performance. you know how to recommend solutions to, to problems, but you haven't executed any of those things yourself and so HP was I tried to, to lean more operational on HP so I could not only work on strategy but also go and help execute some of those strategies and begin to build that muscle of doing the work uh, so but also again, it was very much within the context of I need to learn how this this technology. Ecosystem works. I need to learn how business in tech works, so that one day I can take that and apply that in Nigeria and in Africa. Uh, and so I'd always been building towards that direction throughout my career. Uh, going to HBS, you know, uh, to Harvard Business School was was for me very, very. Um, it was very. It was a very functional need, if you will. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to transition back into Nigeria. I knew I had no credibility in Nigeria or in Africa as a business person, and so I'd have to come back and you know, join either junior management or even more junior than that. Whereas at HP, I was already at the point where I was making decisions that would affect, you know, thousands of, of uh, customers and, you know, multiple geographies. And so I wanted to find a way to bridge that. How do I take my experience in the US? How do I put that into a form that's translatable to an audience in Africa where when they meet me and we have a conversation or they find out about me and they see my CV, and my resume, they can place me at the right level and not undervalue my skill set. And so that was one big part of why I chose to go to business school. And then the second big part of it was I wanted to have a network that I could tap into immediately. And um, after doing some research, I found out that there were two or three business schools in the U.S. where a, a very, very, you know, present and sizable alumni network in Africa, which I could then tap into as a, as a segue to getting back here. And uh,
0: so that was that was what it was for me. So after Harvard, um, actually, while you were at Harvard, you you were able to get some some internships uh, in some companies in Lagos. Um, yeah. And I'm guessing that that was also part of your strategy to, you know, return back to the continent, um, you know, to and, and, you know, build some experience with actu- actually working uh, in Nigeria um, so that when you graduated, it makes sense if you, you know, when you were ready to come back and, and you turned down some really impressive companies, right. Uh, yeah. uh including like, you know, the likes of Facebook and, 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 and other tech companies in the U S so, yeah. you know, to go, you know, uh, other people that are a- at Harvard usually do their internships at McKinsey, you know, all these yeah. great names. And then you go to, to, to Lagos to join some small, uh, investment company, uh, for a yeah. summer, uh, as well as another, you know, online um, uh, e-commerce business. You know, what, what was yeah. that What was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, it, was, it was actually fantastic. I think two of the best uh, decisions I've made career-wise. So the, on the, the first one was pre-MBA, one of my mentors. You know, he'd been introduced to me as basically um, someone that could advise me on what it would take to come back to Nigeria in 2010. And his name is Yomi Jembewon. He's uh, the co-founder and now managing director of Uh, Cardinal Stone Capital Advisors, CCA. They're a private equity fund based in Lagos. At the time, they had just sort of launched the fund and it was a couple of years into their their work. Um, He was looking for someone to come in and do a summer internship. We have been chatting for a while about the possibility of me going to work with him. And finally, at the right time, uh, after I applied to to HBS and already got accepted, he said, hey, look, actually, I have something that you you could come do for us for, for a couple of months. And so I basically resigned from my job, you know, Flew down to Nigeria, went to work with him for, I think it was about two months. Uh, this is in 2012. And fantastic experience. I, I, I'll tell you one story that I just remember that I think highlights the entire experience that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed to, so I was doing two things that summer. One was helping to optimize the performance of a portfolio company uh, that they already invested in, and, and he was running that business as, you know, doubling as both a, a partner at a fund and also as, as CEO of this company, essentially. Um, And then on the other side, I was meant to work on an investment thesis to basically deploy capital into a new business uh, and build it from scratch. And he had said, okay, go put together a pitch deck and do some research and let me know know, what you think we need to do. And I went online and like, you know, for two weeks I was Googling, like it was was in the healthcare space in Nigeria. I was Googling like data on healthcare. I just was hitting brick walls over and over again, uh, dead ends over and over again. And so I went to him, and, I, and he asked me, okay, so what's, what, what's, what's your approach? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to start on, on I just very, very, you know, standard Bain formats. Okay, week one is like primary, you know, secondary research. We're going to go online, look for articles, look for research reports, do this, do that, you know, look at industry trends. And then after that, I'll validate it with a couple of experts. And then I'll build a model. And, you know, based on the model, we can then, you know, analyze the investments decision. And then we can go look for how we'll build it. And he started laughing. And he's like, okay, uh, he tried giving me advice, you know, about how to go about it. And I was like, no, I think this is pretty solid. So he like laughed at me and he said, okay, go ahead, go, go do it. So I go on and do it, you know, spend another couple of weeks working on this thing. And, or maybe more like a week this time. I come back to him and I say, Yomi, I'm, I'm, Yomi, I can't find anything. And he's like, I tried telling you. So here, forget everything you know about how to do research. And let me teach you how you do research here. And he basically gives me a list of three people. He says, go speak to these three people. Take a notepad with you when you get there. Uh, take notes, and then you know you get probably like seventy percent of all the information you need from from speaking to them because they're they are veterans in this industry and they know they have the data in their heads. It's mm-hmm. not in any spreadsheet or any documents. So I go, you know, I schedule the meetings. I go speak to those people, and of course, I come back with like pages worth of information. And I think that was one of the most important lessons I learned uh, at the time, which was you have to you have to be humble and understand that in different contexts, uh, business is done in a different way. Uh, data is found in different sources, and you have to adapt your your toolkit for whatever environment you're in. Mm. So that was one big thing I learned last summer. Um, actually, let me add a second one, which I think is extremely critical as well. On my, I think it was one of my last days of the internship with, with Yomi. We went to lunch in, you know, somewhere in Kori, uh and I asked him, I said, you know, what, what are some of your greatest lessons learned from operating in Nigeria? And he says, well, look, there are lots of lessons learned, but the most important one for you to know is um, your first, second and third problem or biggest problem uh, is going to be people. And if you can figure out the people part of your business, then every other issue becomes just pales in comparison to those. So you say that's going to be your biggest headache, uh, figure out how to manage people, how to lead people, how to deal with people and minimize the people issues in your organization. And, you'll find glory. So I took that to heart and you know it, it'll play into my story later on. But but that was my first internship and you know, I, I was excited about that. So after that I, I went back to I, so I went to HPS for my first year. Um, I got convinced to come back to Nigeria by a friend of mine, Uzo Mwagba, who's who's you know, a really good friend, classmates, and he's a huge patriot. And he you know, he said, Look man, I think we should all go back and try and do something together, you know, even if we're working in separate companies or separate organizations. But uh, By having more people relocate maybe we can make a change so yeah I, I had offers from you know Google and Box.net and a few other you know pretty prestigious American companies and instead I decided to go work at a, at a you know I think it was a one or two year old startup called Conga um, e-commerce you know trying to build Amazon in Nigeria and I thought I just thought I learned, learned a lot more there about how to do business in Nigeria and how to build a company in Nigeria so people thought I was I was insane
0: but I took that offer instead and turned down turned on the American office. <laughs> wow! Well, that that takes a yeah. lot of guts, and it's, and 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 not just guts, but clarity in in as you said before, purpose, right? Clarity and yes. purpose, and doing things strategically to align with with the purpose that you have. So, I, I guess even another part of, of of your purpose, right? You ended up uh, being the chair of the harvard business school africa business conference as yes. well uh prior to graduation um uh and the africa and business club africa yeah. business club yeah. yes that's it right um and, yes. and i've attended uh, a couple of of their their conference of, of the conferences and, and they're phenomenal uh in terms of yes. just bringing some amazing african leaders uh yeah, into into on onto campus to just talk about the, the great things that they're doing on the, uh, across the continent um so you graduate from from hbs um, and again, still on that path of purpose, turning down again, these, <laughs> these great offers from super amazing American tech firms. And you go back to Nigeria to go try and build an airline.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Call me crazy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. How, how did that come about?
1: Yeah. So by the way, the, the, you know, the, the offers, I think in some ways it's funny, maybe I was, I was projecting in advance like I'll be on that I on, on a podcast like this where it would make me look good that I turned down these offers so that's why <laughs> I, I took those interviews yeah because I was a hundred percent sure I wasn't going to stay in the US and work there at the time right and so I think what I was doing was basically telling myself if you if you go and if you go to interview with these great companies and you get offers with these great companies and you turn them down then when you move to Nigeria when you find yourself in a very difficult situation, You'll have no one to blame but yourself. Mm. It was a choice. And so you'll never feel pity for yourself. You'll never feel like you were put in this position. You will be on the driver's seat holding the steering wheel and you will be responsible for determining where you take that vehicle. And And that's why I wanted to have those options and then turn them down and then say, I'm making this decision. So, yeah, i i, I found I found that my goal at the time... So let me, you know, sort of do a quick recap so i i started off by saying i wanted to go i wanted to run a business eventually was my goal right i wanted to run a business that applies technology to make life better for people make it make it more efficient to do business and and things like that and you know ultimately improve the socioeconomic conditions of you know my fellow citizens in nigeria let's say and, and probably across africa the first step was go and understand how businesses work so consulting the second step was understand how tech businesses work hp the third step was Understand how tech businesses work, but also start to figure out how to do the things, not just recommend them. So that was me becoming more operational, personally focused on HP. The next step was, now that you understand how businesses work at a high level, you understand how to make recommendations for what needs to be done. Um, you also understand how to operationalize some of those recommendations. You can do that in North America, but you've been told that things are going to be a little bit different in Nigeria. So go to Nigeria and go apply these things there and go get beaten up so you can learn that was Stone, And then there was, okay, um, now you've done that in, a, in an environment that's not tech-focused in Nigeria. Now go do it in a tech environment. That was Conga e-commerce. And so I built this thing up to a point where I felt, now you've, you've been able to work at large companies, you've been able to work at smaller companies, but you've never built anything from ground up. And so how do you go that journey from, how do you basically take that, uh, go through that journey of having built something from scratch all the way to when it's up and running because you, you've had experience with taking things that are up and running and improving them or managing them. And so the airline was a, was a very unique opportunity that found its way to me. Um, and the opportunity was this company that's been operating for 50 years in the oil and gas space was trying to build a new business. And they were looking for someone to basically build that business for them. And the experience I'd had, at cardinal Stone working with Yomi, that experience was what made them interested in talking to me because the mm-hmm. portfolio company that was helping him optimize was in the oil and gas industry doing transportation. And so this company, Bristol felt that that experience is very relevant for building an airline. And so that's how I got into this role. It was, it was amazing. And one of the most incredible things I've done, you know, we started off with a PowerPoint presentation. Funny enough, I, I modeled it after Porter airlines in Canada, um, you know, Porter airlines has, has its own lounges and, you know, has its own fleet and operates this very, like this hybrid of, it feels like a private service, but it's actually commercial. Mm -hmm. And so I basically, and I'd flown Porter Airlines a few times when I lived in Toronto. Uh, So I modeled it exactly after Porter Airlines, uh, different aircraft and different setup, but similar concepts. And yeah, we started off with a PowerPoint presentation, you know, in 2014, um, I think it was August or September. And 18 months later on, we had planes uh, planes in the sky flying with passengers in it,
0: which is just amazing. Wow and and doing that within an environment that's challenging beyond belief um, starting up a business like this must have been really really not just difficult but but really testing everything that you had in you based on your experience and and also um, and i'm sure almost even your your own <laughs> core beliefs like what am i doing here that's you know. the question that came up with a lot of times yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and, and i think that's indicative of of you know people that you know, want to pioneer things or just want to, you know, are are chasing their purpose is that you will get to that point where you question the logic behind your choices to get into where you're getting into. So in those moments, what did you fall back on um, to keep you pushing and say, okay, I, I know I am in this. I've got to see this through to the end. Yeah. I'll be honest
1: with you. It was, it was equal parts, um, a high level of conviction that based on my prior experiences, I, I knew how to motivate people to get things done. And equal parts terrified that if this airline never launched, I could never explain to any of my friends why I turned down an offer from Facebook uh, to go work at a 50-year-old company, which you know has been running sort of what would be considered a boring business for the last many years. And so I was I was terrified about if if that airline never launched people would, people would never understand why I went to work at that company and right. the brand name isn't one that was you know aligned with my personal brand and my professional brand and so uh, I think the, you know that that fear really motivated me to move forward but but also that the the knowledge that hey in other environments I've been able to motivate people I've been able to get people to do things that they were not naturally inclined to do um, gave me a lot of confidence I mean I'll give you an example of what I mean by that when I was at HP at some point we had a, a major crisis in morale. So this is in 20, uh, I think it was 2011, 2012. Uh, Mark Hurd was CEO of HP then. Uh, he'd been fired because of some, some, some challenges he had. And I, I witnessed us basically, you know, turn a CEO and hire one or two CEOs over the course of it. I think it was the course of a year and a half. The team was like, the morale of the team was extremely low. Um, I remember being an I was an associate on the team at the time, and I they, we had managers who you know had gone to undergrad, worked for us in time, gone to business school, then worked at a consulting firm like a McKinsey or an Accenture or Deloitte or you know BCG or Bain, and then they would come to work at HP, and you know they had mortgages and student loans and all that stuff, and they would just they were just miserable mm. in the team we're in or miserable in the company we're in, the work we were doing wasn't really valuable because we kept changing strategy like several times in a row. And I remember speaking to them once and saying, hey guys, look, you guys are unhappy about all these things. You're also unhappy about your compensation and all that. Why don't you just tell the leadership of, our, of, of the team? And they just couldn't. They were too scared. They were too worried. They you know, didn't want to lose their jobs. They didn't want to get fired. They didn't want to get in trouble. And so everyone was playing it safe, but everyone was extremely miserable. Mm-hmm. And so one day I decided, you know what? I've had enough. I was, I, was, I was frustrated. I was like, I've had enough because every time we go out, we gossip about the company. Every time we go to lunch, we gossip about the company and no one's actually doing anything to fix the team. So I, I took it upon myself to call a meeting. I called all directors and all managers into a room, you know, called a meeting. And at the meeting started, I said, hey guys, um, we've had challenges in our team and I'm going to address them. And so I would love for all the directors to step out of the room and I'm going to sit here with the managers. And I'm going to take notes based on what they believe is challenging to them. And I'm going to come back and play the notes back to our, our senior leadership. And so we can discuss them and figure out what to do. So I did all that. All the managers were like, yeah, let's do this. Like, it's going to make a change. Let's make it happen. We sat down together in the room. I put together a PowerPoint presentation based on all that feedback. And then I said, hey, who's, who's going to come with me to present it to the VP and the senior leadership team? And everybody was like, yeah, we're, we're going to we're gonna not do that. Oh, um, dear God. <laughs> it, it, was, it was your idea. Why don't you go do that? I'm talking about, you know, People that were five, six, seven, eight years older than me, uh, much more experienced. And so I, I called the meeting anyway with the, with the VP of our team and with the, the senior directors on our team, um, pulled them into a room and showed them, you know, went slide by slide, gave them context, gave them the problem, gave them this potential solutions, I gave them you know, all that. And I got into a debate with one of the directors who's actually, I think of him as a friend now. He's like, this is bullshit. Um, why don't they tell us themselves? And yeah. I said, look, I don't know why they're not telling you yourselves, but I think that's part of the problem, is that they can't tell you themselves because they feel scared of what you'll do. And so we got into this debate, and I remember losing it in the room and saying, like, you know what? If you want to believe this data, believe it, and then do something about it. And if you don't want to believe it, that's your problem, but you will then have attrition on your team, you'll have a miserable team, and that is your call. I'm telling you what I've heard, and so don't debate the data. Debate your decision you're going to make. Mm, and- that's powerful he was pissed. I walked out of there and I went to my desk and I was thinking, okay, this is time to start packing my bags and, uh, you know, thinking of what the next job is going to be. So everyone, you know, when I, when I walked out the conference room, everyone was sitting and looking out there, out their cubes, you know, trying to see what happened and no one speaks to me. Everyone was like, looking at me, trying to figure out how it went. So I sit there, you know, same day, nothing happens. Don't get an email, don't get a response, don't get anything. Second day comes by, nothing happens. Third day comes by, I get a random email, and it's like, you know, some HP, some 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 system. And I'm like, okay, this is it. <laughs> Time to click on it and see that I've been fired. And I and I, you know, I, I'm terrified. Click on the email, open it up, and it says, Hey Shani, um, you know, congratulations, you've been awarded a leadership bonus. And it was like I think it was like five hundred dollars or something. I think in that moment, again, you know, one of those other moments in life where you where you realize that maybe you have something special. Um I was like, yeah, I can, I can do this. Mm. So fast forward a few years, I'm at Bristol building this airline. And it feels impossible to, to launch an airline from, from scratch in Nigeria and make it work. And I had, you know, I had a pretty good team. But um, there were lots of challenges. And I told myself, look, you, you've, you've, you've overcome other barriers in different places. You've motivated people. You've made change. And so you can do that here as well. And uh, yeah, that was it. I just kept pushing ahead.
0: ultimately that that airline launches you know to rave reviews 98% uptime uh on 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 time departures um uh, yeah. really efficient service um and then you you close that chapter to to figure out what's next um and yeah. then and and that's how the uh, andela opportunity comes about right yeah
1: <laughs> so i i i was considering leaving at the time you know the the, the person who I came in to work with had been transferred to a different part of the organization. Um, and the the new leader of the team at Bristol then just didn't have the same level of vision that I thought was needed to execute on the plan we had. And, you know, I, 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 definitely tried to, and, you know, I guess there's also times when with all the willpower and grit in the world, you just can't effect the changes you want. So I also, I also know when I get to that point where you, know, you don't have the right level of authority to make those changes and, I decided that I was going to make a transition out. Now, the, the good thing is the airline was up and running. You know, we had embassies and oil companies and a bunch of other organizations using it. Um, and I said, "This is a good time for me to transition." And started so looking for the next thing. And so, right around that time, I would spoken to one of the co-founders of Vandela. His name is uh, Ian Abuyeji, and he's one of the Nigerian co-founders. And you know, he paid, he reached out to me and said, "Hey, look, um, there's a company that you know I I founded with a few other people and I think you would just be an amazing person to come help us lead our Nigeria team. At the time, I didn't really know what the company was about. I thought Andela was a school. And I, I you know, I was telling my girlfriend then, I was like, I don't want to be a principal of the school. Like that's not, that's <laughs> not what I'm excited about. Like teaching these guys how to code. So I, I actually was not interested in the role. Uh, I told him a few times that I wasn't interested. And he said, you know, just, just meet the team and talk to the CEO and talk to the COO and get to meet everyone and like, you know, just, just, you know, just talk to them and see what happens. So so I did. I, I got to speak to different team members, and you know I met the CEO, whose name is Jeremy Johnson. I spoke to the CEO. Uh, her name was Christina um She's uh, previous, uh, previous CEO. And during that process, I spoke to probably ten team members. Um, I also flew up to, to New York uh, to, to meet up with the team there as well. And I think during that process, um, I had a complete you know one eighty degree change of hearts. Uh, I got to meet some of the engineers in Lagos, and they they grilled me. Because they were, they were told to come speak to me about possibly, you know, being the head of the Nigeria team. And they saw that as like, okay, this guy's coming in. He, he needs to come and do something good here. We're not going to just let some, uh, some average Joe. And so I remember being very impressed by some of the questions they asked me. There was, there was a particular lady uh, whose name is Tolu who was in that group. And now she's one of my mentees now. You know, we still stay in touch, uh, you know, years later. But she was extremely impressive as, as were the rest of them. And I realized that there was an opportunity for us to create a wave of technology leaders or enable a, wave of, uh, a generation of technology leaders that would go and build the future, um, whether it's here or across the world. Um, and that sort of allowed everything I'd ever been working for in my entire life to converge. It was a business that was going to be tech-enabled. It was helping to create leaders and technology, you know, technology leaders in particular. It was being able to build a business that would display African and Nigerian excellence. And it was me being able to infuse a lot of my views and opinions of how an organization should run, how the culture should run, how people should interact, how efficiency you know, uh, works. All of that, to be able to do that in one organization at the same time here in Nigeria was just like a dream come true. Nice. And so it was a no-brainer.
0: So with Andela, you've been able to, um, lead an organization, particularly through, through the Nigerian, uh, office, um, that has created, you know, tons of amazing technology professionals, um, that are capable of working, uh, and being deployed to, you know, the top fortune 500 companies. Um, the company has been ranked number one in terms of the greatest places to work in, in, in Nigeria. Um, and, and, you know, has a good reputation across the continent, um, and and was also able to get the attention of, of very amazing uh, global leaders, including Mark Zuckerberg, Al Gore. Um, how did how did that uh, how did those things come about for you in terms of being able to lead uh, uh, through those types of, uh, of of situations?
1: Yeah, I think you know just to be to be very candid, um, this this entire thing is, is a collective effort. The, we have we had a lot of phenomenal people that were sort of driving at a hundred miles per hour in different directions with different cars and so conquering different domains. So, you know, without the sales team, we definitely would not have been able to grow our revenues to the point where we could afford to actually, you know, keep um, building a business and raising money uh, without the operations team. We wouldn't have been able to do business in an environment. People would have thought you know, it was impossible to do, to do business in and make it work, make it seem so easy uh, to run a, a company in Nigeria. Um, yeah, and, and there are many other teams that I could also like give credit for some of this some of the success that we that we had. Um, I, for me personally, I'd say that I had a very very clear point of view going in. Um, there was there was a very specific mission for me going into Mandela, and it was it was to build a high performing team, and high performing company, and to deliver excellence across the board in whatever we did. So my job was partly like performance management of the business, you know, of the organization, all the way from operations to finance to marketing to HR. You know, it's it's managing those teams. It's it's setting the bar for where we need to be. It's making sure that I can performance manage people and performance manage teams to deliver to that bar. But then a big part of the job was telling a story internally and externally. It was motivating people internally to believe in this vision, to believe in this dream, to rethink the identity of of a Nigerian Professional Whether as an engineer or as an HR professional uh, or a marketing or a finance professional, and see ourselves as being best in class, right? Um, and then also telling the story outside about how can other organizations begin to reimagine their role in Nigeria and in the rest of the world. So that was that was a big part of my job, was you know, telling the story so that people feel this level of conviction from deep inside. And the thing I said I was missing at Bain, right? That, like that gut feeling where you wake up every day and right from deep inside your stomach, you feel this, this deep connection and desire to execute on this mission because it means so much to you personally, um, to be a part of this thing and to see it succeed. Uh, that was a big part of my job. So going in, I was, that was, that was very clear to me. Right. And I said, you know, as I, as, as I actually wrote my, I had to write this essay, um, about you know what i would do to build the organization and i wrote down we would become the best place to work huh. that was my goal so i joined andela in 2016 um in 2017 we got ranked number i think it was number eight best place to work in nigeria and 2018 we got ranked number one uh, when i was country director the most best place to work in nigeria and also we got ranked by the great the great place to work organization as the best place to work in all of africa wow and so that was a huge milestone. Um, and again, it was one of those moments in life when I thought to myself, I'm this tiny guy, you know, like five foot, five inches, I'm a, or maybe five foot four, you know, depending <laughs> on who you ask. And, you know, I, I stand in front of a room and people believe what I'm saying because they see a level of conviction and follow through. It's not just speaking, it's also doing the work. And they believe this guy can take us to where he says he's going to take us. And they're, they're, they're going with me and we're, we're, we're advancing on that journey together uh, so for me it was it was just an incredible way to express myself um, I showcase my talents to the world but also a very fulfilling way to enable other people to achieve their full potential you know as part of this organization I was helping to build
0: brilliant very brilliant so, so what's next for you now that's a fantastic question um, I'm I
1: it's so it's almost like I'm crippled with lots of ideas, but I'll explain the process. The process I'm going through at the moment. So, I took a sabbatical um, in April, and the the idea was I've I'd been sprinting for four years. You know, I've taken on three different roles at Andela over four years. I've led you know teams that I have that are that are in charge of organizations that have over a thousand people, and when you're in a people business, there's a lot of um, just a lot of work especially if you're in a people business that's high growth in a, in a startup environment, you know, operating in Africa, because I oversaw you know, six different countries uh, by the time I left Adela, it's, it's, it's a high level of stress. So um, I, think I'm, I think I got burnt out, to be, to be very honest. And, you know, I, I just found myself going through successive periods of just being like completely wiped out of energy and having to you know take a few days off or take a week off and then recalibrate and re-energize and come back but then the, the space between each burnout was getting shorter and shorter and so I realized at some point that I, I probably got into the end of that of that line um, and so I took a sabbatical and, and the idea for the sabbatical is to is to rest number one rest and re-energize now while doing those things because I'm someone who's just unable to be to sit idle uh, I'm also beginning to play around with you know I Ideas I have, none of them is revenue generating at the moment. You know, I started a, a, a talk show on Instagram live and, you know, I've been thinking about this for a few years. I figured i will just do it. Um, I am beginning to read a whole lot. I, I'm, I've always been an avid reader, but I think I'm beginning to read a whole lot more now than I did, you know, in the last decade. Uh, I'm, I'm now trying to do about a, a book a week or a book every two weeks if I can. Nice. Uh, I'm watching a lot of Netflix and HBO, <laughs> uh, just, just absorbing all sorts of entertainment content. Um, i'm going to start writing a bit more again when I, once i once i settle in you know fully and when the sabbatical ends i think what i'm hoping is you know two or three months from now i'll be in a position where i've gotten to a very i've gotten to like the most calm states i can be i'm going to start reading um you know books on philosophy as well and mm. do some meditation and i've i've started working on a fitness routine an exercise routine just to kind of keep my mind just to keep my body also healthy um, along with my mind, and so when all this is done and is said and done, um, the goals I have in life have actually been the same for the last you know four, five, six years, and they'll continue to be the same for the I think for the next ten, twenty. And what that is is basically my my thesis is that when you look at the world today and you look at Africa today, the the participation of Africa in global environments is extremely low. Compared to the kind of talent we have, mm. so across sectors, across industries, across topics, we just are not participating at the rate that we should be on a global scale. And there's there's room for African excellence in every domain, in every field, in arts, in music, in um, fashion, in you know the the food business, in whatever it might be. I think we, we we're seeing some some. Bright spots in you know sort of the number of doctors that emigrates out of Nigeria to other countries. Uh, we're seeing the, the we're seeing Nigerian music now sort of take take its its place on the global stage. Uh, I think we're seeing Nigerian movies begin to advance as well in that direction. Uh, I think Nigerian sports. You know we, we see we've seen some Nigerian artists that uh, I'm sorry athletes that have you know been able to uh, been able to become renowned in their fields in different sports. Uh, you know football team is one of those. But I think you know when you, when you see Africans. Participating in it, and I'll say Nigerians, especially because I'm Nigerian, so you know, that's that's what my heart is. When you see us at our best, we just bring some new energy. I mean, you watch a football yeah. match that has Nigerian players and it's it's just different. You, yeah. you go, you know, you watch the World Cup, you see us playing the match, we just look different. We're dancing when we score, we're celebrating, we're, the swag mm-hmm. is different, you know, even like the fans in the, in the stands are behaving different. We're just making a lot of noise and rock, you know, causing a ruckus. So, I think there's there's room for African excellence in everything. There's room for Nigerian excellence in everything. And my mission in life is to create bri- commercial bridges between Africa and the world and also to build a, a community of, you know, excellently managed businesses and leaders that create value for themselves and value for the world. So I see myself building businesses for the rest of my life um, that expose Africa to the world and create commercial bridges between us and the rest of the world and show people here and outside that we're as good as anybody else
0: in the world amazing and and that's an awesome philosophy awesome personal mission um that i believe uh not just yourself but a lot of us can buy into and also figure out our way uh, our own way to play a part uh in in achieving that vision whether it's working with you or or participating in our own way and other uh, endeavors that that align with achieving that vision um uh, so, Shani, we're, we're just going to wrap up with um, a rapid-fire session that I do with, with everyone. Cool. Um, cool. I'm going to ask you five questions, um, and you're just going to give me your best answer to any of uh, to, to, uh, the questions. Um, and that, that's it. Very simple. Um, cool. So we'll start off with, uh, what book are you currently reading right now? Startup Nation, which is about the
1: Israeli entrepreneurship scene.
0: Okay what would you say is your favorite productivity hack or tool?
1: My calendar. Everything goes in the calendar.
0: Excellent. And where is your favorite place to escape to? Uh,
1: In Lagos, it would be Knock by Alara, which is the restaurant, my favorite restaurant in Lagos. And if it's outside of Lagos, it would probably be... Uh, a place I just discovered in Portugal, which is where my wife um, drives me to where she can.
0: Very nice. <laughs> so, if uh, if money or resources were not an issue, what would you do?
1: I would focus on basically supporting entrepreneurs who want to, who specifically want to build businesses that will become global
0: out of Africa. Excellent. And last one, who would you say is your biggest cheerleader or supporter?
1: My wife and my mom are probably like tied for that role. They both are just beyond reasonable doubts,
0: heavy supporters. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Shani, thank you very much for joining us all the way from Lagos, Nigeria. Um, Your story is is phenomenal. It's impressive. It's full of nuggets, um, which our listeners will definitely enjoy. Uh, You know, expect to see, of course, you know, your your LinkedIn might probably blow up after this episode. Uh, uh, But yeah, you know, we're going to be tracking you. Enjoy your sabbatical. um, And we'll see what you have to offer us once all of that is over. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me here. All right. Thank you. And that's our show for today. In life, few are given the chance to truly change the world. And if you're given such an opportunity, just like Shaney was, seize it boldly and make the best of it because you were made to lead. I'm Aziz Garuba and you've been listening to Made to Lead. Join us next time for another exciting episode. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Take care.